Welcome back to Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And in today's conversation, I'm joined by Elliot Wise. Elliot is a serial entrepreneur and mentor. He owns over 10 businesses across a wide range of industries and is a thoroughbred entrepreneur who now also helps others to grow and build their own dream business. There is so much within this episode, but as a top level summary, you can expect to learn about Elliot's first forays into the business world, the lessons he learned from his first seven figure business, how he grew that, but then learned from the failures of that, how to scale a business, hiring people, and much more. We go so many different places within the conversation, and you're going to hear about the wider economic environment, the recession, the political landscape, the snowflake generation, content creation, the wild west of TikTok, and much more on top of that. Elliot and I could have recorded for another couple of hours, no problem at all, and not scratch the surface of the different areas that we could go. So I hope you enjoy the 60 minutes that we did have together, and make sure to share this episode with a friend who would enjoy the episode too. Today's podcast is not sponsored and supported. I have a gap between sponsors until the new year, but if you do want to support the podcast, you can do so in a number of different ways. The first way will make sure you're following or subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on, or you've left a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The final way to support the podcast is you can buy me a coffee, and that's linked in the show notes, buymeacoffee.com slash callcambro. Coffees is not something that I drink an awful lot of, as many of you know, but I am very partial to a white monster or any other form of insert caffeinated zero calorie energy drink before the gym and it's certainly been fueling this podcast as we roar forwards we're on episode 161 we're not slowing down anytime soon the spotify wrapped stats that i got back were really really humbling and thank you for all your support so far in 2022 and i promise that the the great conversations with great guests like Elliot are going to keep coming as long as you keep supporting the show the music's going to play as i say we we scratched the surface with what Elliot and i could have talked about but we absolutely packed in a lot into the 60 minutes that we did have together i hope you enjoy this one Elliot, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And there's so many different directions that my mind and my uh, my my words can go with this particular chat, but given the breadth of what you do, and you you own over 10 businesses now, I want to go back to that very first business and at the age of 13, what was the the why and what prompted you to start a business at that age? Well, I think the main thing for me was financial freedom was always something I wanted. Um, I was always driven by money, actually, to start with. Um, I think I didn't come from a, a wealthy background, but for more than anything, I saw that I didn't want to be in a position of financial constriction. And, okay, how do you earn money? I'm looking at everyone else, the paper rounds, this, that, and the other. And I was really drawn to, I was lucky to be born around the era of the internet just starting to come to fruition. And what I've always been good at, that I've, I've prided myself on is my ability to see patterns and at the time no one had websites and I was like this 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 website thing everyone's going to need one <laughs> everyone's going to need one and I thought you know I'm going to learn how to make them it can't be that hard <laughs> so my friend and I we created a Warhammer website just as a bit of a test bed with uh, Microsoft front page it was at the time the software and we built this little Warhammer website because I was a massive nerd at school and I was like, no, I, I can do this. I can do this. So then I started aggressively asking my parents for all of their friends that they knew that run businesses, this, that, and the other. And uh, ended up getting my mum's cousin who needed a website. And I did them a website. I built that in. Uh, and I hired my friend who at school who had, I I'd asked to specialize in graphics. I was like, I'll do the coding, you do the graphics. And I'll, do the, I'll, pay, I'll pay you 50 quid. I'd negotiated, I think it was 350 quid for this website. So I was like, I'll pay you 50 quid. I'll do I'll, it didn't tell them the price, obviously. And one thing led to another. I built that website for that client, although if I look back at it now, it probably wasn't the best in the world. But they're still a client to this day, by the way. Um, <laughs> and from there, I realized, that, okay, well, I can create something. I can sell something. I need an accountant, which is the next thing I did. And really, I was very quickly aware of the fact that it's not that hard to build a business. And I did this at 13. So it's creating a, a skill set that you're then able to sell to someone and then have the ability to sell to someone and then manage that and manage other people, which I did all in one go. And that was, that was it. The rest was history. 
And at such an early age, and I suppose the whole identifying a need, like you said, spotting trends within the within the world, for example, at that stage, with the age of 13, I think, wait, are you in early 30s, Elliot? I'm 31. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, 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 so that in that era, like you say, most businesses didn't have the, 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 the kind of primary website that they have now. So identifying that this needs to happen. And during that period, building a skill set that was going to become extremely valuable over the next few years. Like nowadays, people building a website that's probably so competitive, whereas then probably a lot less competitive, especially given the amount of effort that you would have to put in to learn the coding aspect. Because like you said, you, you joked about how hard can it be to learn to code, probably pretty difficult. Yeah. So the thing is as well, one big thing that people neglect here is, is, is a lot of people look at business owners that are very successful. And, they, and a lot of business owners as well think that, egotistically that they got to the level they're at because of purely how good they were at business well yes a prerequisite to be very successful is your ability to create businesses however what i have seen is quite often the differentiating factor between someone who is mega successful and relatively successful was the vehicle they picked so it's hitting the right business at the right time and they having the prerequisite skill sets to be a good business person is one thing Jumping in the right vehicle or the right boat, as I like to look at it, is the most important factor. And as you just said there, you can be the best business person in the world, but if you are in a vehicle that hasn't got the ability to carry you or you're a very competitive market or you're not on that wave, you will only go so far. The way I like to see it is I'm trying to get on the top of a tsunami wave that's just breaking. And then I can use my skill set. That You do have to have a great skill set and be a good businessman, but most people look at it and, and just say purely it was ego. There was me. I did all of that. Well, no, I look at it as luck, a bit of luck, and a hell of a lot of predictive timing to get the right vehicle and vessel to get me there. Timing's significant. I, I completely agree. And that that whole meme where they and this relates to the education system, which I'm sure we'll get onto in this in this discussion. You've got the meme where it's like the fish being judged on climbing the tree. In the same way, you might be somebody who's brilliant in one particular sector of business, but if you apply yourself in the wrong vehicles, you were terming it, then you're going to be judged to be insufficient your business will fail whereas if you have the skill set that you applied to website building and you've applied it to so many others over the years since it just happened to be that you chose the right vehicles to to be successful because there will be ventures that you did that didn't work out as well because maybe your skill set wasn't quite primed to be there or you didn't time it quite as well in terms of your entry to the market i i know a lot of people got into the whole uh, selling weights equipment during the the, the the pandemic when the gyms are closed and some people timed it perfectly and they they boomed and then when the gyms reopened the demand is still semi there and you can be relatively successful but you missed the the kind of mm -hmm. exponential growth when you could have particularly blown up and i see that a lot of the time when people maybe jump onto trends too late and they join when the tsunami is perhaps in its way back down so this is the thing if you've got an amazing skill set and you're a good marketer then apply it to a business model that's really flourishing at that point like you said if you if you're a great marketer after that window it's shut no matter how hard you push there's only so far you can go yeah you might go further than other people but it's still limited and a lot of people get stuck in the rut of this is what i do this is what i'm going to continue to do whereas i'm very much the advocate of okay well i need to be a, a pragmatic realist here so well, i'm a good business person but am i really in the right business model am i really in the right so this is why i pivoted recently into outsourcing so one of my biggest companies in past is growing companies for that reason is virtual assistants uh, outsourcing. We skill up, upskill and implement into solopreneurs and, and small businesses across the world. And right now that market is absolutely blowing up. Same with online education, which is the other thing that I'm involved in. And there's a reason I picked those two things and have moved away from the, con the conventional marketing and consultancy that I was in to those models because I knew my skill set, although would be great still in those other models, is going to be far less fruitful than if I applied it to a model that is I'm on top of that wave that's just breaking. Yeah, I can completely understand and I can see that. That's that's modern day, but I want to go go back in time again. And your first seven figure business was your your lighting retail business. What did you yep. learn from that venture? Okay. Learn that e-commerce is great, very expensive and difficult. But the biggest lesson I learned was with regards to my business partner at the time, which actually ended up being quite a, a nasty breakup. Um, so the, 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 the thing I learned the most was, is I was quite young when I was running this. I was, this is pre, pre, pre end of uni. So it was in my teens still when that was growing, it was in my early twenties that it all fell <laughs> when tits up. And the biggest thing that I learned was, is that 
I didn't take enough accountability for a lot of things within that business. So I think as a good business owner, you should always take accountability for everything that goes wrong. And you have to ask yourself, what could I have done differently? And yes, although I was let down by the business partner I was in business with, who was a lot older than me, the crux of it was, it was an expensive lesson for me that when you're in debt, when you're in any endeavor with anyone else, you still have to be accountable for the things that they're doing. And you can't hold them responsible if it all goes Pete Tong. So from, from that essence, I learned how to be more accountable to my myself within the business, how to ensure that I'm taking more control and overview of those things and elements within that business and pick your business partners more wisely. Um, I think one of the biggest things I learned was is you should only really ever go into business that with people that don't need money. So what that is one of the biggest things I learned that I will only now go into business with people that are fully self-sufficient, have got plenty of money and they are fully invested in that business to make it grow because the oxygen and lifeline for a business is money. And if one or multiple of the directors are requiring lots of money from that business, it will stifle the growth. Desperation makes people act very, very strangely and make things and decisions that are perhaps not rational. Whereas if you were in the headspace that this is just, we're going to reinvest back in, we're going to grow it and somebody else is pulling in the other direction. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the, another thing that I learned from that is because of its collapse and my ability to rebuild new businesses, I learned that I, it wasn't by luck. I think one of the big things that a lot of entrepreneurs run into is when they, when they run, they create one successful business, there's always a nagging thought in the back of your mind of imposter syndrome of, was there luck here? Did I just, did I, was this, was this, was this a fluke? Could I do it again if I lost it all? And it's one of those things, when you get hit once, you realize you're not made of glass. And when you make it back again and you do better, it's there's a confidence, inner confidence that actually, no, you know, I have the skill set here and I can act accordingly. And you can act more openly and more, for me, certainly, I was less constricted with my decision making after that point because I wasn't so uh, coveting what I had built. I understand. I understand. One of the things that I'm keen to ask you about when it comes to being accountable for your own behaviors, but also those of like maybe business partners and directors that are involved with you. Are, are you like, how did you learn to have better difficult conversations? Because clearly there was a difficult conversation that needed to be had that might've meant that that venture might've lasted better. Maybe you could have taken over the entire business. It, like Difficult conversations are something that a lot of people shy away from in modern society, but you're clearly somebody that must be able to do that now, given your, your success across so many different platforms. It's inner confidence and your ability to have confrontation um, is very difficult. I was actually chatting to my videographer about this the other day because he's privy to a lot of my conversations. Uh, he's in the car. He's, he follows me around a lot. And I have quite heated conversations with people, very direct. And I'm, I'm very emotionless when it comes to business because it's it's not domestic. This is business. There's the, there has to take the emotional element out. And he said to me, how do you, how do you say these things to people? I, I, I wouldn't have the confidence to, to pull someone up on something or have that difficult conversation like you say. And honestly, I was massively unconfrontational. I still am, really. I don't enjoy confrontation. However, for me, it was a difficult learning curve that I basically was born out of necessity. I was hurt enough from not being confrontational enough to realize that if I don't change, I'm going to keep getting steamrolled. And it was one of those, you could tell me to your blue in the face that I needed to probably be more direct and more assertive. But some lessons in life, you cannot coach someone. Some lessons in life, you just have to learn. It's for example, if someone said to you, having all the money in the world won't make you happy. You say that to a poor person, they still have to go and get all the money in the world before they learn that materialistic things don't really make you happy. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, there's a, there's a lot of things that, like that, that until you get hurt enough or, or, or you've actually gone through it, you won't really learn it. So if I'm trying to mentor someone on that, it's very difficult to do because it's just something you have to be able to do to survive. And I think some people either have it or they don't, or they have to, they either learn to do it or they don't. And, and ultimately, without that ability to not, I'm not being confrontational for confrontational sake, it's confrontational and assertive and direct with conversations that have to be had within business. Otherwise, things don't move forward. And ultimately, if you can't learn that skill, you're probably not ever going to be a CEO, CEO or, a, or a good manager or, or top manager or director of a company. 
I see it in the in business to client conversations as well. So if you don't, mm-hmm. as a like, so I manage a lot of corporate accounts in terms of um, as a relationship manager. And if I fold over maybe a customer complaint that's not justified, or they want a discount because the price have gone up in terms of the raw materials, and I just always give the easy answer and I never push back or, or show any form of backbone, then my profit margin goes down. My ability to have more difficult conversations goes down the, uh, down the line with them, goes down as well because you've never ever stood up or been direct. So confrontation for confrontation's sake, terrible. Confrontation and being firm when necessary, it actually earns you respect with people as well. Like I, I like to think that my customers get a really, really good service from me. However, it, at times I may be quite strong and bullshit with them to say, well, actually, like do you realize that shipping costs from China have gone up 10x since last month, whatever it is, it's actually gone back down now. But that was a, a conversation I was having a lot over the, over, the, over, the, over the past two years. And of course, that meant that prices moved with that. And by having that conversation and giving some context to it as well, you actually earn the respect and they're like, okay, Colin's really tuned into the market and why this, why this is the case. Whereas their other supplier might just be saying to them, oh yeah, your price has gone up 10% and take it or leave it. Whereas I'm trying to explain why, but also being firm about it rather than just being like, oh no, like, let me try and get you another discount. Like it's very, uh, you can be weak and you, people lose respect for, for weak people very, very quickly indeed. I think humans inherently want someone to take lead for the most part. And you're right. It's, it's one of these situations and it's something that customers, customer client relations is, is an odd one. People do tend to bend over for their customers. And I think people, humans inherently smell desperation. They smell desperation, and if a client, a client knows that you need them, they will just take you for a ride. They will just take you for a ride. It's the same with being in a relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone and they know that they have the power, you're punching, right? It's the same thing. They will just take everything from you. They will they will, they will bleed you dry and leave you like high and dry. And client, client, client relationships are no different. You are there. They're paying you for a service. They're paying you for your expertise, so you can sit there and listen to my opinion because that's what you're paying for. And as long as you can justify it, I'm not saying controversial for controversial sake, but if you are making a valid argument for a specific reason, because prices have increased, because of Brexit, because of COVID, this, that, and the other, shipping containers have gone up. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to play it. You can either take my advice or go somewhere else. Giving them discounts and bending over for them will only leave you far worse off. Vulnerable, exactly. Sore from the experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Vulnerable, vulnerable for it. And, and next time around, when you maybe have another legitimate reason, they're just going to run all over you again. And that's how businesses fail in the end. When you you constantly uh, bow to the needs of your customer over your own, it should be a win-win situation as much as possible. But equally, when you're in a situation where you can't win, you've got to make that clear why to the customer that things have moved in the right direction. And I always think having a direct, like, clear conversation with reasoning behind it earn so much more respect as you say rather than just um, than folding and I imagine over the years since your initial first largest business you probably had numerous difficult conversations both with customers but particularly with maybe partners or people that you're dealing with in the space as well well ultimately I think this all comes down to sales right so everything in life is a sale and ultimately if a client or a business is in a, a transaction having a conversation with another. The one that gets their way is ultimately a better salesperson. Because people think of sales as like a, a financial exchange. It's not always. The majority of sales is just maybe you're chatting to your partner and you want to decide on which restaurant to go to. The one that gets to go to the restaurant they want to go to is the better salesman on the day. And it's that same thing over and over again. If you want your way within a, within a, within a company, within any decision-making within that, you've got to be a good salesperson. And like you say, you have to be great at putting that point across. You have to be great at selling that point, justifying it and being assertive enough to make them follow you. And that's what great leaders are. That's what great business people are. They're ultimately internally very good salespeople. It's like you asked me to get on this this podcast, for example. That was a sales transaction. Everything you do is a sale. And if people realize that and, and, and think sales get a bad rep, but interactions between everyone is a sale. Absolutely. And if you believe in what you're selling as well, I think that helps too. Like- Given the range of businesses that you work across now, like marketing agency, you've got your HMO properties, you've got an aesthetic students with a studio, sorry, with your, with your wife and a host of other things. How important is diversity to you when it comes to business to protect yourself? I think it's becoming less and less important. So for me, I actually went into massive diversification mode after I lost my lighting business because that was a multi-million pound a year business. 
Um, that was revenue. I was earning, I wasn't earning millions of pounds a year from it, but I was doing good six figures a year. A lot of e-commerce people like to brag about how much, how many they're a six-figure business, seven-figure business when they're they're doing that in revenue, but they're spending the same amount in advertising and product. But no, I was earning good six figures at it from in my teens. I was doing very well, and that falling on its ass when I had mortgages, I had a good great house, I had a, I had a good lifestyle that all of a sudden I had to, to pay for was like well, I don't want to get into this situation again where I had a lot of eggs in one basket. I had my web design company. Luckily, it was running enough to cover my bills, but it was a massive scare. And from that point, I want, probably went a little bit OTT with diversification to the point at which I had so many businesses running that none of them flourished as early as I would like them to. I think diversification is important, but at the right time. In, if I was to go and redo this all again, I would have gone back to just really focusing on one main vessel, one main business, until that was cash flowing so heavily that I could build more wealth up and then employ the right people to run that and then look at other businesses. What I didn't do was employ the right people fast enough and I was still wearing too many hats and too many businesses, which was constricting the growth. So risk it, risk diversification is important, but at the right time, because you can make a lot more wealth far more quickly if you keep it, your vision on one thing. At one being a specialist time. okay being, being a specialist rather than a generalist because growing business is fucking hard it's really fucking hard as you know it's, it's not easy <laughs> and you're trying to do two at the same time three at the same time without the right teams you are going to get pulled stretched and ultimately burnt out and you're always going to hit levels that you can't break through because you're unable to give your time adequately to all of them one of the things you said there around scaling businesses and growing them is, is is hiring the right people. I've heard you say before that you've you've actually hired people that you've like trained with in the gym or met in the gym because you understand maybe like how they're wired a little bit more. Why do you think that's an advantage? Well, I think most people can be trained to do the things within business. There is a certain amount of talent that's required for certain roles, but ultimately I need to see that someone has the ability to be consistent and make a sacrifice and push hard. And quite a lot of those talents and skill sets are displayed within the gym. So I know at the very least that person has the internal ability to do those things. So I think fitness comes hand in hand quite often with good business skills. And there's, there's a reason that I mentor a lot of fitness coaches that are incredible at business because they apply the same mindset to business. If you allow out the right path for them, they can execute hard. But finding good people is without a doubt the hardest thing within businesses, the number one hardest thing, but the most vital thing for business growth. So there is a correlation between the two. The things that are hardest gives the best results if done properly. That's normally the way yeah. things in life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's clearly a skill that you've got given the physique that you've built and the behaviors that you've built as well. But what is maybe a skill that you've had to work on and develop more so than consistency and resilience and, and uh, doing the things that you've told yourself you're going to do? My biggest skill set that I've had to work on goes back a little bit to what I said about my shiny object syndrome is my discipline to say no to businesses and other things outside of the thing that I'm focusing on right there and then. It's not jumping from thing to thing and saying no. I am now in a position where I get presented with great business opportunities every single week. Not every day, but every single week, someone will come to me with absolutely something amazing that I would love to jump into bed with. And the thing that I've had to really work on the most is saying, sorry, I don't have the time to do that. That for me, is the hardest thing because I love business. I love making money. I love growing businesses. And there's a, there's a great opportunity there, but I'm like, well, I can't take my eyes off of this because this is important right now. I'd say that's the number one thing that I've had to work on and improve the most. What have you said no to recently that you might have said yes to previously? Property investments, other mentorships that are, are going on. Um, I've had e-commerce business offers. I've had uh, some... There was a, a, a business in a company in Europe that someone wanted to get involved in. So loads. I mean, I get them offered weekly <laughs> uh, from an investment standpoint or to buy an equity or to, to, to help run or set up. There's loads. But I love, what, and it's one of the things, it's, it's difficult to say no. What framework do you have now? Do you have an official process you put things through or do you use gut? What's the approach? Ultimately, right now, unless someone came to me with something that was unbelievably lucrative that was uh, this this could be absolutely huge or someone of, of note came to me i'm not even entertaining things at the moment because i am so hell-bent with the outsource company and my mentoring company and all the other companies that are running but 
those two things are requiring a lot of time and attention to grow that I simply don't have time for anything else. So it's not even a discussion to be had. It's just a simple, no, thank you. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> appreciate the offer, but no, thank you. And that's the yeah, only way to do it. That's powerful. You just have to double down and like hard and fast rules are sometimes helpful. That's why like from a fitness perspective, sometimes particular diets that exclude certain foods actually are helpful because you just have a hard and fast rule that filters out and just says, nope, that's not being eaten. Like people debate the the benefits of keto and I've, I've certainly never uh, been able to stick to it or do it, but it does just exclude something. So you just say no straight away. So in the same way that you're hell bent on these two particular businesses as well, all the others are kind of operating at, at, at standard. It just means that no, any opportunities that come in, it's just, you know, I don't eat that food. I don't, I don't, I don't get involved in those particular ventures. I think it depends on your personality type. So big part of being a great business person or great anything in life is your ability to introspectively think and understand who you are and why you make decisions. And one thing that I've realized is I'm a very extreme all or nothing kind of person. So the way I work really well is like you say, yes or no. And if I'm doing it, I'm going all in. And if I'm not doing it, I'm definitely not doing it. There's no middle ground. I'm not that kind of person. I've realized that I'm not going to try and retrain myself. And introspectively thinking is maybe figure that one out. So I act accordingly. I either say completely no, or I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> and if I'm coming, I'm really coming. There is no half measures. And it's figuring out whether or not you respond to those kind of things or you don't. Some people can have a really media diet. I'm either full on attacking your diet, eating dust and sawdust and air, or I'm not on a diet. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no middle ground for me. And that's how I like to function. Yeah. Uh, Self-awareness is something that it's a common theme through a lot of my guests and how they've got to that situation has varied massively. How do you think you've worked on understanding your own personality types? So I think some people are gifted with this. I've always been someone that introspectively thinks and, and, and there's a danger there of overthinking as well. So a lot of people can be paralyzed by overthinking and, and too much introspective thinking. But it's the most important thing in, in your life to understand why you do certain things and what actually makes you truly happy. And what happens is, is society starts to place things in your head where you think you're doing things that are based on your decision making, but ultimately it's for the society that's portrayed those or pushed those things on you. And I actually have a framework for thinking things through and introspectively thinking. I ask myself certain questions. I actually did a, I've actually done a free course on it, by the way, um, which 100% free, which gives the first part of that course is introspective thinking, asking yourself questions, actually doing a video to yourself video to yourself explaining to yourself why you do certain things why in this position are you happy and actually having that conversation and you can watch that video back it's quite it's very difficult to do but the correlation i've seen between the most successful people and introspective thinking is that they are very good at it they're very good at understanding who they are and why they're doing something because ultimately as you talked a bit about when i was 13 or why do you do something without understanding that your motivation will fleet at some juncture. No matter if you're the most motivated person, it comes down to discipline and everything else. But having a strong why will really help you drive through those periods of turmoil, sacrifice and suffering because life throws those at you. That's all part of the journey. And introspective thinking and really figuring out why the hell you're there, you never get out of bed in the morning and go, what the fuck am I doing this today? You don't have that anymore. You know exactly why you're doing that. And you know that you're actually on a path that's making you happy rather than wondering whether or not I'm actually really happy. And this is what happens with society. I, I think people have a, a curve, if you call that like your happiness curve or your fulfillment curve. And this is something that truly makes you happy. And then when you're young and you're a kid and you're not really influenced by outer things, you're quite close to that, that curve. You're on that curve for the most part. And that's, that's not, it's all up and down because life is up and down. But we follow things and make decisions that keep us in line with that because we're not really taking other people's opinions and judgments and society's judgments into that equation then what happens is you get a bit older you suddenly start to get influenced by the things you're seeing and the people you're around and trying to make maybe possibly trying to make them happier or please other people then you start to you start to sway away from that curve right and there's a gap that starts to open up between how fulfilled you are and the things that you're doing to maybe satisfy other people and that bit in the middle is what i call unhappiness or depression and it's introspective thinking will help you realize whether or not you're actually on that curve that's veering away and pulling yourself, making those hard decisions to pull yourself back onto that happiness curve to make sure you're making decisions for you. A lot of that's checking in with yourself and just making sure that the actions that you're taking are aligned with your values, your wants, and your desires. And I like that you suggest people to take a video of themselves because although you and I do lots of stuff like this, 
it still can be uncomfortable to look down a lens and, and, and speak, especially about yourself, about particular things. And when you verbalize those things and watch it back, of course, it could be uncomfortable. But I would much rather be slightly uncomfortable in that moment and experience the discomfort and the struggle of filming a video where I'm kind of maybe pouring my heart out or my desires to, to myself. Of course, it doesn't need to go anywhere than live a life that's not aligned with where I am and have kind of micro discomfort every single day rather than like one big batch of maybe ripping the blaster off. And then from there, you can heal the wound, so to speak, if we're going to use a corny analogy and move forward from there rather than every day just having little micro cuts away at yourself because you're doing things you don't want to do and you're not addressing it inside your head of why you're not, why you're not making a change. You make a fantastic point. Um, and that is the majority of people will sacrifice long-term happiness short-term pleasures because it's easy to not face hard truths or make small term short-term sacrifices for a much longer happier life and it baffles me just how many people are happy to keep sacrificing long-term gains long-term success for these little short-term wins like you say going on a diet for example to be in better shape for the rest of your life people don't want to go through that three maybe three months <laughs> to, to get in shape and be healthier for the rest of your life or put a year worth of a year's worth of hard graft into a business or upskilling yourself so that then you can earn above average for the rest of your life and that's only it's very short term it's very short term yet people won't go through that short-term suffering they won't make a video on themselves because it's difficult right now they won't get up and go to that course in the morning to learn that skill or they won't work over the weekends to gain that extra finance freedom so they can invest in something that's going to pay them passive income for the rest of their life. Why the hell not? I still it's can't so understand the rationale of most humans. I think we sedate ourselves particularly with modern technology. And before we hit record, you and I were talking about TikTok and people are reaching out to influence ratification. So loads of social media, loads of booze, loads of drugs, loads of porn, whatever it is that their, their immediate kind of pleasure seeking device is. And they get enough of those little micro hits throughout the day to decide that, yeah, I'm going to keep doing the things that I don't really enjoy massively in terms of that. And I spoke to a, a gentleman called TJ Power, who I'm calling like the kind of British Andrew Huberman. He's a, he's a neuroscientist. So he's, he's trying to bring that over here, which is excellent. And he was talking about all the different hormones that we've got. And he was speaking about dopamine, which is effectively an effort hormone. And we're getting dopamine all the time from sources that we wouldn't have been able to access ancestrally in terms of our evolution and one of the biggest problems is the pleasure is often in the pursuit but there's no level of like pursuit or effort that you get from looking at your phone because it's really easy there's no level of pursuit when it comes to going and finding a video on Pornhub and having a wank that is not like that's not how we were designed we had to go and make an effort previously to achieve these dopaminergic highs and nowadays we don't have that and I think people satisfy themselves and maybe like they hate their job, they hate what they do, they, they, they've got this micro pain, but they kind of sedate themselves throughout the day with little highs. They'll watch three hours of Netflix at night, they'll watch two hours of TikTok every day, they'll watch porn, they'll, they'll drink themselves into oblivion every weekend. It's very funny to watch how people are keeping themselves content within the system and the way that they're living. It's crazy and you're right on that. And I think another, another massive thing as well is people watching motivational shit as a procrastination tool to not be motivated and do something. The amount of people that will sit there watching a motivational YouTube on mindset, wealth creation, whatever it may be, and then not go and action something because they feel like they've got motivated from that video is astounding. Is absolutely astounding. Motivation, masturbation, yeah. Um, I, 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 I see it a lot. You, you, you see it with public accountability as well, Elliot. So how often do you see, and maybe you've mentored people that you've had to let go or, 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 or really shake them, who are always like, big things coming. I'm going to launch this in the new year. Be ready for it, people. And they announce it, and it gives them a bit of a buzz because people are like, oh, amazing, like exciting, like fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing what you launch, whether it's a new product, a new service, or you're going to compete in a physique show, or you're going to do a photo shoot, or you're going to do this or that. And people, by announcing that, get a little bit of a buzz. And they often never end up doing the actual thing because nobody holds them account. Like if, if, if somebody that I follow on Instagram out of, I don't know, 700 people that I follow announces they're going to do a show next June and they're like, oh, I can't wait to smash it on stage. I'm not going to check in with them and be like, why didn't you do that competition in June that you said you were going to do? So they got the initial buzz, but they never got held accountable to it. So I wonder if you've experienced that where you see people who are like maybe talk the talk 
and never walk the walk and they just benefit from the fact that they've talked the talk enough to keep them plodding along doing the thing they've always done that's, that's another extension of the motivation people that will sit there and, and consume motivational stuff not to do anything and dreaming is one way of satisfying your brain's ability to say that okay i'm going to do something in the future i'm going to do something manana and something out there gives them that thought process that okay i'm being productive because i know that it's going to happen and deep down unless you make that ability to or you create that you create an actual goal with a deadline and a KPI there is no okay let me let me rephrase this what people do is they don't specify the framework for failure because if you don't specify the framework for failure and you make that very gray you won't ever let yourself down so they didn't say to themselves okay i'm going to do this show if i don't do this by this date or i don't do this by this date this is a failed endeavor they just leave it very open so therefore they can never fail at the thing that they're saying they're going to do so what i do is if anyone that i'm working with or even myself if i'm setting myself a goal the first thing i'll do is i will specify the framework for failure what does failure look like in the situation because then i can quantifiably say this was a success or this was a failure because i'm not scared of failure I think a lot of it comes back to the fear of failure, which is paralyzing people as well. So they want to do something, they're desperate to, but they're so petrified of what other people might think or the fact that they're going to let themselves down. They won't even action those things. And then they don't set the framework for failure. And then they can just happily plod on through life. Well, not probably unhappily plodding on through life with the, the, the mindset of, I don't really know if I'm failing or not. So there's, I think that's that's the super important thing to take note of is is, is making sure you, you set the definitions of failure. I hadn't quite thought of that before, but yeah, when you start on an adventure, knowing what good, average and bad looks like can be very, very helpful. And the bad part would be the failure in terms of I've not completed this endeavor by this particular date with this particular level of success or metric that I'm, I'm, I'm measuring it by. We we spoke about on uh, just previously about fast pleasures and one of those is is tiktok la and you've really really doubled down on that this year you built a strong following of forty five thousand k but you're oh, sorry forty five thousand people but you also are getting reached well beyond that as well how are you finding that platform absolutely love it as we were explaining on prior to this podcast attention is the new currency of the world and right now it's all plonked on tiktok Everyone, it's the most downloaded app. There's more people using it than anywhere else. The algorithm is fantastic in giving merit to the creative, not the creator. So what I mean by that is you don't have to have a huge following to do well on TikTok. You just have to make great videos. So it puts everyone on a level playing field. It wasn't that some guy got into Instagram five years earlier than everyone else, and now he's got a great following, so he's still getting pushed. I can go on TikTok as a new account, create something phenomenal, and I will get rewarded for that. If you create the best YouTube video on the planet, but you have no followers, it won't go anywhere. That's it. TikTok has understood where the 21st century of attention is going and the way and the other apps are following. The other apps are all going to start. Gary Vee calls it a TikTokification of social media. And with that, you have to be relatively polarizing with the stuff you're saying. You can still educate on there, but it's a very different consumption platform. Every single social media that platform that you use uses a different tool. So if you look at if you're trying to build a business, for example, or a personal brand, let's call it personal brand. If you liken this to building a house, the social media platforms are different tools and materials for building that house. And yes, they will all contribute to building that house, but they are used in a different way. And what people are trying to do at the moment is use all different social media platforms as the same tool. For example, using a spade and a drill, both have their uses, but within the context of building a house, you have to use them very differently. And TikTok is one tool and Instagram is another tool, podcasts are another tool, YouTube is another tool. If you're trying to build a personal brand, you use them differently. And the same person consuming TikTok will respond differently and consume things differently on Instagram and LinkedIn, for example. And people think, well, I'm just going to put the same content out on all platforms. It doesn't work that way. Even if it's the same person on all different things, they're, they're viewing it at a different time of the day. They've gone on there for a different purpose. They're using it as a different tool. And you as a creator have to think about that and the nuances and the context in which you do it. And as you've seen from my TikTok, it's far more vague. It's quite direct. 
it's very opinionated and it gets attention. That's the whole point of that. Yeah, one of the things you were talking about is uh, the fact that we live in quite a, what I I think you termed, and I would agree, is, is a bit of a weak society and we have a very much a snowflake gem- generation. You described that as a competitive advantage. Why is that? Because if, <laughs> if, you're, if you're lining up to go play a sport and you need to get picked, you're at school, and all of your classmates are absolute animals, you're going to struggle. You're going to have to work a hell of a lot harder. I love and thrive off the fact that I'm going up against very weak people for the most part. I'm not going up against sharks. There's plankton floating around. There's snowflakes dropping around. And I can go out there and just dominate. And I've always and I always knew that my mindset was stronger than those that were more talented than me. And because they've got that snowflake mentality and everyone's getting weaker and everyone's... You are just... You, you can just go and take their, their dinner money and their lunch money ultimately because business is cutthroat it's competitive now you're still creating value and you're looking after your customers that's my sole goal is to help as many people as possible but if my competition is weak then my job is easier yeah i completely agree i think the the sport analogy is perfect like would you rather play against weak unskilled players and you be be able to take advantage of that and win yeah of course you would because you like competition and uh, that probably harks back to what you were saying to start in terms of picking the vehicles and the areas that you compete in as well because there might be particular industries you compete in that is full of people that are perhaps better and higher more higher skilled but if you identify an industry to go into and you'd be like listen i'm going to be like one of the most hard-working focused skillful people in that area i'm going to win 10x compared to if you go into a field that's maybe got even more competitive within it so i, I would completely agree and Every year on my birthday, I've, I've written like a, a list that I share on Instagram with my email list, like 28 things I learned at 28, 29 things I learned at 29, et cetera, et cetera. And one of them, and it always stays in, personal responsibility remains unfashionable. And as long as that remains the case, people that do take personal responsibility, you're much more likely to end up doing well than the people that just refuse to and just adopt a victim mindset at all times. Because while they are bemoaning the macro factors that are going on and we'll definitely talk about the financial environment that we're in you are just dealing with what you can deal with and taking much accountability as possible because during every previous recession there have been people that have done well and you can be one of those and a lot of it will come down to how you are minded and the things that you choose to invest your time and your money into during that period and that for me gives me quite a lot of that makes me feel good that makes me feel empowered whereas if i just bemoan the fact that oh my god it's so difficult at the moment and i embrace a victim mindset and i embrace the fact that all oh, the, the the price of energy is up or w- whatever other factor i can bemoan then i just become one of the pack that's struggling at the back and i don't really see myself as someone that wants to be like that and the kind of people that listen on a weekly basis to self-development podcast they're not in that boat either but they just need to hear sometimes that listen you can embrace personal responsibility and do the best with the tools in the environment that you have available to you at this moment in time absolutely you just have to remember that the position you're in is completely 100% down to you. Fact. And you take accountability for everything that happens in your life. That's if someone breaks your heart, does something to you. Other people's reactions. I, the first thing I will do is say, how could I have handled this situation differently to make this not happen? That is number one port of call that you go to. There's another element to this as well. So accountability is, a, is probably the main thing, like you said responsibility for the things that you take and and becoming anti-victim mindset victim mindset is the worst it's poisonous the other thing is social media has made people very entitled so what you've got now is the the new generations coming through thinking that things come easy because they're seeing some 18 year old kid driving around a lamborghini and having successful businesses they didn't see the iceberg effect of that and then as a result they then go work at Lidl's for 10 pound an hour I don't even know what minimum wage is nowadays and they're struggling to work and they're not driving around in a Lambo but why not and then don't want to work because they've seen how easy other people have it and they're not like that and the issue there is that entitlement then comes as well so well I should have those things because everyone else has those things I don't need to be working like this this guy that's trading forex doesn't do that so there's a there's a two there's a two two prong part of this where there's a no accountability no responsibility taken and secondly there's an entitlement issue as well from the from the fact that everyone sees that all these people that are super successful because they see a well for most part it's fake but then you get the elite people that are just being shown which is showing this a very skewed 
vision of what's reality. It's an amplifier effect, Elliot. Like the the guy that drives a, a Honda Civic and works in a job that pays him twenty eight thousand pounds a year, and he lives in a in a relatively nice flat. He's not going to go viral on social media. His 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 lifestyle and his content is not designed around that. So it's going to show young people relatively aspirational content. And yes, they can get into a loop where they're watching the the motivational videos and not actually being motivated and going to a job that they dislike and a job that doesn't have room for scale. Because well, like I'm I'm sure there's there's people out there that that work in a supermarket that are perfectly content with the, the way that it goes, but it doesn't have the scale to allow you to purchase the things that you are deciding that you want to purchase like in terms of like material desires. So I find that very, very funny. When you talk about things like personal responsibility and accountability, I've seen your comment section. You, It's quite funny. You, you, you have the opposite depending on what, what you say in the video. So you've got some comments that are calling you a Tory for talking about business and money and mindset and personal responsibility and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, terms like that. And then I've seen others where you've been critical of Rishi Shunak and how he's uh, avoided tax and his wife avoided tax. And then you were critical of the recent uh, budget by Jeremy Hunt and you've been called a Labour Party activist. I feel politically homeless because I don't feel either party really represents me in any shape or form where's your head at politically when it comes to these things i don't i don't put myself in a camp as you don't really it's, it's, it's not that i have my belief systems and my morals and my ethics that i work towards and i i push and believe in and for me i'm a massive advocate of adam smith who is the inventor of economics and he is basically someone that didn't believe in government intervention and that everyone pursuing their own best interest benefits everyone else as a whole. Let me quickly rephrase, uh, let me explain that for most people that don't haven't heard of that phrase before. So if everyone was being completely selfish and pursuing their own best interests, they'll actually benefit society as a whole more. Now this goes, it's very contrary to what we're taught in schools. And the reason being is, is to make money in today's society with a few caveats like the financial system, I won't talk about that too much, but to make money, you have to solve problems. And the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you earn. So, for example, if I was to solve cancer tomorrow, I'd be the richest man on the planet. Now, if I'm selfish and I want to earn as much money as possible, by definition, I'd have to solve bigger problems and more problems. I'd have to hire more people. I'd have to give more jobs out. I'd have to create better things, solve more problems. So if everyone pursuing more money, they would end up making everyone else better off by, by result because there'd be better services in the industry. And that's the free market. Now, that's very right wing. Um, Tories, you could say. But in essence, I just like the ideology of that. The political side of things gets in the way of that because they have intervention. They stop those things from happening. Now, there is a, an issue there whereby it's a survival of the fittest and there isn't a redistribution system to people that can't fend for themselves and stuff like that, which I agree with, which you'd say that's left, that's labour. So there is no... Trying to identify yourself and put yourself in a camp is very dangerous. What you need to understand is just having your own thoughts and processes and think freely for yourself and this is what I'm trying to put out on my TikTok is to wake up and get outside of the matrix and stop listening to the shit that these people are pumping out because ultimately there's a big wild world out there and it's not binary. It's not left or right. It's not one or zero. It's not right or wrong. It's a mixture of all of these things and you need to live by your own rules. I'm on board and I think anyone that can be put into one particular box by knowing one of their views you can know all of their views that's a very dangerous position to be in so you they are adopting slightly contrary uh, positions where you're talking about like a safety net and support for and redistribution of pe for people while also extreme personal responsibility and pursuit of money and pursuit of finance to better yourself and those around you that's actually very healthy that you're allowed to adopt slightly different positions on different issues and like how you see, see the, why the fuck not why the fuck not why can't i have my own views why can't i be in multiple boxes because what as humans what we always try and do is is label things because we understand the world by labeling things black white man woman right wrong Na nature and the world is very fucking complex and there's a lot of gray and middle area and very rarely does anything ever fit in one box and what we're told in school and education is that's the case and it's fucking not there's not one there's not one right answer to anything ever ever, ever, ever. There's always multiple answers, infinite amounts of answers that could be correct. And there's a whole scale of all these different things. And as soon as we allow ourselves to, to be free to move within different boxes or, or just remove the box entirely, then we can all start working together much better and be more aware of, of, of everything that's going on and, and 
contribute much more, much more because like you said, it's dangerous to fucking box people because then you then have to conform even to things that you don't necessarily agree with because you put yourself in a box and, and trying to label yourself with a particular group of people. Interesting. Absolutely. Um, funny you brought up Adam Smith. That was actually the building that I studied in at University of Glasgow. It's called the Adam Smith Building. And I did a politics degree and um, he, some of his teachings were, were were amongst that as well. So it's funny that you uh, you bring up Adam Smith. He's, he's very well regarded economically, but of course there'll be people that would not like what he's got to say because it is very much focused on do things as much for yourself and there's a a gentleman that i re- interviewed recently he's like absolutely notorious for brilliant threads on, on on twitter and his name's sahio bloom and he uh he spoke about different razors to use to like understand and cut to the the answer of like a, um why something's happened and one of the razors is hanlon's razor so like if somebody acts like in a way that you don't agree with that's like kind of caused you pain or whatever don't put it down to malice put it down to stupidity but the next one that kind of goes below that is machiavelli's razor so rather than assuming that somebody's acting out of malice towards you assume that they're acting in their own self-interest and that for me is absolutely massive because most people whether they agree or not they're acting in their own self-interest at times or most of the time and if we can understand that, and if we actually encourage that people to be more open about that, if people acted in their own self-interest and were more direct and forceful about it, then they would end up in a much better position, Elliot, like like you're talking about there in terms of being able to financially look after themselves and, and, and be really, really self-sufficient. I think the issue here is, is everyone does work out their best interests. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. So if you run a charity, you're not doing that charity. Yes, you are doing it to help other people, but you're doing it to feel good about yourself for creating that charity. So there is a still selfish endeavor there, whether or not you're being giving. Now, what we have to realize is, is everyone is out there working for their, their self, their best interests. And that's governments, that's business people, that's your brother, sister, friends. And when you use that framework to realize when you use that framework, you can then start to identify why people are doing things. Because what we're led to believe is that that's not the case. People are selfless. We're looking after the the NHS and these other things for selfless reasons. The government is purely working out of self-interest for preservation, for power. And that enables you to, like you say, as a good business person, you always try and figure out what does this person want or why are they doing something? That always tracks back to what do they want. And that enables you to read situations better to give you a very a much more realistic view of the world and enable you to navigate these rules and these things that are happening right now more appropriately. Because the first thing I always ask is what the hell is in it for them? Why are they talking to me? Why are they doing this? Why are they making that decision? Because how are they benefiting from it? If you're naive to that, you're like, oh, they're just trying to help them. They're just, no, (laughs) that is not the case. Trace it back to where the money flow is, what they want out of things. And then you've got a much better example, an idea of what is going on. I think people people are led to believe that there's too many selfless people out there, which is, is not not realistic. There's not. If that's what you're encouraging people to do from a mindset perspective, what are you encouraging them to do from an action perspective during this period where we do have increased cost of living, we've got a recession, we've got challenging periods? What would you encourage them to do? So I actually had this conversation with my mum the other day, and I said you've got two you've got two ways of approaching this this period. You've got complete constriction, and you've got expansion. Now. With any situation, you have to be careful with the decisions that you make. You can't be reckless. That's just being smart. But with that being said, when time, and, and you made this point earlier, there's a lot of people make money in recessions. More money is made in recessions than it is in times of economic prosperity. Always. People make the most amount of, or, or single individuals or institutions make more money out of recessions than they do it because everything's on sale. They buy things very cheap. And during this period, the thing my mum said to me was, oh, I think I might have to cut back on, I'm going to throw my mum under the bus here a little bit. I might have to cut back on some bits like this, you know, Netflix subscription, this, that, and the other, because things get a bit tight. I said, okay, you could do that. Why don't you work a little bit more? So this is the question here. One person would say, right, I'm going to cut and take things away. My initial thought straight away is how can I earn more and, and expand into this situation? What can I do to increase? My first default is never to just, chop (laughs) because that's that's easy it's far harder to say well actually you know i'm just going to earn a few more a bit more money to account for the fact that things are a bit tighter and so right now i'd be thinking about how can i expand okay what can i invest into myself what skill sets can i put in place why am i in this position in the first place and you talked about taking action am i in this position because i haven't taken action up until this point and use this time for a bit of reevaluation and 
another thing I will remind people of, and it's really healthy to remember this, is money doesn't disappear. It doesn't just evaporate. There's more money being printed all the time, and it's always available. Sometimes it's just a little bit harder to get hold of because people are coveting it more. But just because we're in a recession doesn't mean that money doesn't exist. And if you are going into a business or you're still operating in a business and things are slowing down, it's not because there's no money there. It's just you've got to work a little bit harder. You've got to be more resourceful. You've got to figure out ways of doing things. So constricting in that period is going to make it even harder to survive. And having that mindset of, okay, there's still money available. And unless you're Microsoft operating, this is for business owners as well, by the way, people that are trying to make their own money. If you're, not, if you're operating a very small business, and I'm, when I say small business, you're under a billion pounds a year. <laughs> so everyone that will be watching this, your market share in any in any industry is a spec. So all you have to do is take a little bit of market share from a few other people within that industry, and you can still grow even in a recession. The only time you're ever really going to struggle is if you're on Apple and you operate 80, 90% of the entire market and that market contracts. But for everyone else, I have always make it a challenge in these periods of economic uh, decline and austerity to actually try and grow. That's the challenge I make to myself because if I can make growth in this period, because the money's still there, it doesn't all just stop. It doesn't all evaporate. It's just harder to get hold of. I know that I can grow even more in good, in good times. And it's that it's challenge. It's a powerful mindset, isn't it? It's a powerful mindset and a powerful challenge. And when you speak about um, shrinkage and constriction, a lot of people got a lot leaner in terms of their lifestyle, but also businesses from 2019 onwards after we had the pandemic. So if you look at how businesses were spending pre that, and like you can even look at like oil companies pre the oil crashes as well, businesses are actually quite lean right now. And a lot of people are living quite lean compared to pre-pandemic. So if you are looking to cut, a lot of what you might have cut as like large S or excess has already been cut. So like what else is going to go down? Businesses have less office space than before. They have less corporate travel. They have less corporate expenses and events. These things are already cut back. What else is there to restrict? Like, are you going to cut your marketing budget further? Because then you're not going to reach any more customers. Like there's there's so much um, that's already been stripped back. At some point, you need to hold the line, stop battening down the hatches and trying to outlast whatever period we're going to go through and and try and find ways to increase revenue, as you said, and increase um, like value to the market as well. Yeah, so an analogy I like to give is is people are in a race car and in times of uh, austerity and, 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 and shrinkage, they're trying to lose weight. And quite often, they cut marketing. And I'm like, that's your fucking, that's like throwing your engine out the window. <laughs> so you like, we need to shut some weight. Let's throw the engine out. Well, that's the thing. That's driving you the business right now. Like, we need to be putting more into that, if anything. We need to be finding out more ways of, of, of expanding. And that's the way I've, the mindset I've always approached. It's scary as hell. It's scary as hell. But I have always found if you do what everyone else does, you lose. If you follow the crowd, you lose. I get more worried about putting money into things when everything is going well. Because I know that that is the mindset of everyone else. And that's normally the wrong thing to do in history. The rich people always make money by doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And in this period right now, just going in on yourself and trusting yourself and building your skill set to be able to put more into that effectively is important. Because if, if okay, another caveat here is don't just throw money into things willy-nilly. I would be investing, if, if I couldn't invest into my marketing because I didn't have the skills and resources to, I'd either hire someone with a better skill set or I'd invest into building my knowledge so that I could invest into that thing better and improve my engine rather than throwing it out the window. And that's the difference between an expansive mindset and a constricted mindset. That's a huge point, like um, investing into yourself. So upskilling during this period, whether like, and that typically that can be a resource of time rather than money as well. So we're all going to have the same amount of units of time, perhaps not the amount of expendable income as well. I find it alarming that people think that they can ride out this storm or this period because economically, this is a very different recession in terms of its structural nature than mm-hmm. anything that we've probably experienced in our lifetime, you and I anyway. And I saw a stat um, yesterday, actually, and I, I wrote it down for this podcast, but household incomes when adjusted for inflation are at 2013 levels and they're not expected to return to where they were pre-pandemic until 2028. So if people are going to try and ride out in terms of, oh, my lifestyle 
creep will come back up. I'll cut back until the recession's over. Six years is an awfully long time for you to think that you can ride out and have the same amount of available household expendable income that you had before. So something has to radically shift, whether it's you you have a side hustle, you you, you work harder in your work and you level up, you, you develop a new skill that makes you more viable to yourself or your company. I think that is a far more incentivizing thing rather than like, we're just going to ride out the storm, don't worry, we're going to make it through these next few months. It's not a few months, it's a very long period and economically the system is very damaged as, as we could do a whole podcast on. But using this period, as you were saying, to, to upscale and take action as much as possible in areas that can generate more revenue for you is, is probably as valuable a use of time as ever? Well, put it this way. Even if you manage to out-survive this six years, it could be even longer. Depends on what the government does and how they, they, they correct things. But let's say you did manage to survive it. Are you going to fucking survive the next one? Because you're going to come out of this really, really damaged. And, okay, fuck me. If you get through that by the skin of your teeth, well, there's going to be another one around the corner because economic cycles, every, every every eight to 10 years, there'll be another one. Are you going to fucking do this? Are you, going to, are you happy to do this every decade? Are you enjoying this? Is this fun? And you talked about putting money into things. Do you matter? I don't know if you get this a lot. If I had a, if, uh, Elliot, if I, I've got a thousand pounds, what should I do with it? Should I, what should I invest in? Like stocks, this, that, and that. I'm like, yourself. You cannot beat, you cannot get a better return on investment than putting it into you. And if you've only got a thousand pounds, that is exactly where it needs to go. Until you've got millions to be playing with and a huge amount of cash flow because you built the skill set up to be able to get that level of income. And even if you put it into something like crypto that you won the lottery on, you have built zero skill sets to then continue to earn money in the future. Let's say you won the lottery in terms of investing in something really well. Even if you made a few million off of it. You will spend that money very quickly and then you'll be left skillless and in exactly the same position again anyway. So put it into yourself so that you can create recurring income. That's a very interesting point. I, I've had Nick Majuli on the podcast who wrote uh, Just Keep Buying, which is kind of one of the most popular investing books of the last year. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about people asking about like stock picking or can I find the next GameStop? Can I find the next Dogecoin? Whatever it is. And he was saying, well, how much do you think you can invest? Oh, maybe like 500 pounds a month. Great. Okay. That's six grand a year. If you get 10% returns on that six grand a year, that's 600 pounds. You could work a couple of extra shifts at your friend's bar or whatever it is. You could sell a couple of things and make 600 pounds. If you're chasing 10% with a relatively low amount in the market, and that's not to discourage people from dollar cost averaging and building up what's in there over, over a period, but could you put some of that capital towards something else or the time that you're using to pick the, the most exciting stock or the most exciting fund or the most exciting coin, put that into developing a skill that you can monetize and then that money goes into the market and that compounds much faster because I would much rather be able to invest tens of thousands of pounds a year than hundreds because that will add up much more over time and it will matter a lot less what stock I pick because eventually some of them will, will, will go in the right direction. So I find it striking that you're saying if you've got a thousand pounds, put it into a course, put it into a mentorship, put it into something that allows you to upskill to then generate far more than a thousand pounds so that when it does come time to put into the market, you've got 5,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds, 8,000 pounds, whatever it is, that's a lot more than, 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 than a multiple of 1,000. Well, I would just say this. If you put the money that it costs you to go to university now into yourself, you will buy skill sets or make you millions, period. Can you get that same return on putting it in a university fee or put it into some stock? No. It's because it requires hard work too because people like the idea of just throwing some money into something and making it back. And if that's your mindset, you're going to always be poor, period. Yeah. I've got a couple of closing questions, Elliot, and I'm always keen to understand this from my, from my successful guests, but... What's a particular area of work that you do that you feel less pain than other people, meaning that you can do more of it and do it better? Is in what, in terms of how I am able to do Yeah, what do you do in your day? So for, 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 me, for me and my corporate job, I'm better on the phone, I'm better at presenting. Like I, I just, I, I don't get stressed about it. I just turn up, I can make the calls, I can use a lot less bandwidth. What do you use less bandwidth than maybe your competitors or other people that you see in the space do so you just, I, you're able to do i pride myself on my ability to network and grow um the companies and also manage people now so front facing i prefer vastly more and i'm able to do a lot more than the back end working within the business so 
I could do podcasts like this all day. I can talk all day. I can network all day. I can create content all day. Uh, for me, I love it because it's something I really enjoy to do. And I also see the benefit of it. Whereas if you got me sat on a spreadsheet or banging out graphics all day, I would struggle massively. Um, I, 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 I derive a lot of energy from things like this um, and the ability to get out there and, and, and produce for sure. Whereas some people would find it exhausting to turn up and be extroverted and clever and articulate and trying to push themselves forward. And they would be absolutely deadly with a spreadsheet or whatever else they would, they would be absolutely killing it. And they would want to dive into it all day. That, 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 that is very, very interesting. And again, that comes back to the self-awareness piece. And that's why I was keen to ask that question because you understand what your drivers are and what gives you energy and what you can do well or better than other people. And of course you're going to do more of that, more content, more, more face to camera, more producing across different platforms. In terms of your success up until this point, obviously it's been fantastic, but what would need to happen in 10 years' time for you to look back at those 10 years as a success? You'd have to have learned from those individual businesses. So as you know, we talked about before, that skill set and then getting the right vehicle. Every single business that I've done has taught me certain lessons and new skill sets. And now with the growth of this uh, outsourcing virtual assistant company that I have, for the next 10 years to have been a success would have been to have packaged all of those different skill sets and applied it to this one business and made true impact in the world. That's what I want to have happened. And for those things to have come to a success, those skill sets would have to have been applied to that because I'm a big believer in learning from your journey. And that's what I want to happen from this and then have a massive impact on the educational side of things as well. Um, so it's building, it's basically the building blocks of those things that I've learned to create an amazing company that generates a lot of impact on the planet, which will also earn a lot of money. Like I said, the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you earn. So you can make a lot of money creating fantastic value and giving a lot of impact out. Yeah, I've heard you speak to Justin before about the the seesaw analogy that you had when it comes to, um, how do you describe it? Like goodwill and value versus calls to action. Can you just explain that before we wrap up? So yeah, the, the, good, the goodwill to, to monetization seesaw. So in my... The way I see monetization selling things predominantly on personal brand and brand itself is through giving out value first. I'm a very much value upfront model where you're providing your fan base, your audience with as much value as possible. And if you see this like a seesaw, you're weighting a lot of, a lot of goodwill and a lot of value within into your, your, your followers. And then that gets exchanged for some form of monetization or call to action or sale. And the trouble is, if you overdo the sales side of things, you'll exhaust all of your goodwill and trust that you've built. And that needs replenishing to then seesaw that back up again, effectively. And you could also, the other flip side thing is, if you give up value forever, but you never monetize, you're also going to never have any money in the bank. So what happens is it tends to be a trade-off all the time where you're seesawing between goodwill, building goodwill, giving out value. This podcast, for example, you're producing a great, valuable service and, and, and a great source of a resource to your followers you're building goodwill you're building trust which at some point in the future should you want to could monetize it against something that you're offering and that will also give value but the trust there has been built because of the goodwill that you've built and that will seesaw between the two i like the analogy Elliot, and it's a great note for us to wrap up on if people would like to continue the conversation with you where should they head towards well you can find me on tiktok on elliot wise uh instagram is wise elliot and youtube elliot wise I also have uh, my free resource, which is on elliotwise.com, which for anyone that is stuck to trying to go forward, I've created this completely free of charge. I'm never, I'm never going to monetize it. It purely is to help people that maybe are struggling to get out of the rut that they're in. They can't introspectively think. They don't know. They've got all the desire in the world to move on, but don't know how. They haven't got the, the, the network, the systems, the parents uh, to, to move forward. So definitely go and try that out. And it's some hard questions on there. A lot of people won't finish it because it's very difficult and there's some difficult things to ask yourself. But the people that do will have a very bright future. I love that, Elliot. All four of those will be linked in the show notes, guys. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon. <laughs>